Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people. Your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. Welcome to Marin Costello Radio. I've been waiting for this episode for a very long time. You guys, we have the coolest human, the coolest human on the show today. Susanna Salu is a Shark Tank veteran and a second time startup founder with her company called Pluto Pillow, which has been featured in Forbes amongst many other platforms. Pluto Pillow is a custom built to your body pillow based on statistics, sleep style, and personal preferences. Pluto customers take an online survey that asks about their sleeping position, current mattress, heat preferences, et cetera, and builds a custom pillow based on the user's information. I personally received my very own Pluto pillow recently, and I can tell you this product is absolutely amazing. Susanna is one of the most well-rounded and interesting humans that I've had the pleasure of meeting, and I'm so thrilled to share her story with you all. Susanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Marin. I'm so excited to be here and finally dive into a conversation with you. So much same. I mean, I don't think, I know for a fact that an hour is not going to be enough time to talk about all things Susanna. So we're definitely going to have to have you on again, maybe more than once. Um, we'll try to, we'll try to fit it in all. So there, there's going to be a sequel to this. <laughs> I love it. So we like to start the show with a question um, that kind of brings us back to the early years. Can you tell us about little Susanna? Let's see, little Susanna. I would say little Susanna was always very curious and um, she was an only child. She had a lot of time to herself and there were interests that were, I think, a little strange. Like she would really concentrate on getting her handwriting a certain way. Um, She would try to solve puzzles. She loved video games. She really liked cars. And above all, she was an adrenaline junkie from day one, trying so hard to ride the tallest roller coasters, trying to skydive as early as possible. Um, And even though I couldn't do that until much later, that was like one of the bucket lists. And I would like keep a list of like also like compound words. So she was a really strange little girl. Um, She didn't feel like she belonged a lot, I think, in school. And so she was able to carve out space for herself to find, you know, little hobbies and joys. And she loved books among all. Yeah. I love that. I find that our roster of guests that we've had on the show, that is often a thread that runs through all of our childhood stories of like, oh yeah, we were black sheep. We didn't feel like we belonged. So then we created our little worlds, our own, you know, respective worlds that kind of amplified and supported that uniqueness. So, yeah, and I think what made you kind of didn't belong or unique in a certain way is what creates that kind of individual as you grow and develop into your true self. Exactly. So your introduction to entrepreneurship started very young. Can you speak to your example growing up of building companies? Yes. So my examples uh, were my parents. So as I mentioned, I'm an only child. And because I'm an only child, I had a really front row seat to all of their, I'd say, business and adventures because they treated me not like just a child or a daughter, but they really 
saw me almost as a friend and I saw them both as friends as well. And this world that we were kind of tackling together and through that, I haven't ever seen them work for a certain company ever in my life, ever since I was born. And whether or not that's right in terms of, you know, providing for the family, I've just seen them jump from different businesses and the businesses range from a fried chicken store, an energizer drink company, a shower filter company, and then donut stores, huge sewing factories. Um, uh, The list goes on. I think my dad had an oil company at one point. And then it wasn't until they started their business of liquidation or reverse logistics which was how, you know, when you return something to like Target, Sears, JCPenney, they would take in all these returns and then wholesale them to retailers. And that was like their kind of main business that they've done until they retired. And so just throughout my life, I've just seen all the highs and all the lows. And through that, I thought that was such a cool life to live, even among all the lowest of lows. Yeah. I mean, that is, truly being an adrenaline junkie at its finest, right? The road to entrepreneurship is a wild one. It is every day, every single day. So you, what I think is so, so interesting about your story and it, and it differs from mine in this way is that your parents explored different options. My parents were also entrepreneurs, but they did the same thing for 40 plus years. So I was able to kind of see them through the ups and downs of one particular industry what I think is unique about you is that you get to see, you got to see your parents throughout a bunch of different industries, which I imagine kind of maybe gave you freedom or permission to explore other options and not say, this is one thing that I've committed to and it's going to be this or bust. You know, I feel like there's some freedom in that a little bit. I think for sure. Um, even though, you know, entrepreneurship is one route because businesses can be so different. There's no blueprint. And um, because of that, I think they've also always been so supportive in whatever hobby I chose. And I remember there was a time that was like really difficult in terms of financials, but I was like four or five years old and um, they, you know, kind of got a couple of dollars together. I mean, a lot of dollars together to buy my first computer. And it was really, really early on. And I remember that. Um, and so they've been, you know, just so supportive and like showing me the world and whatever they felt like I was interested in, they would support that all the way until I'm just like one day, not that interested anymore. So I'm really grateful for that. That's amazing. You also, we are supposed rivals. You went to USC and I went to UCLA. We've discussed this already. We're like, do you really care? I'm like, we don't, I don't really care. No, no. I don't think I was all the way there in terms of the football games. Something I kind of regretted. I think I was so like motivated to graduate as early as possible and to just to begin my work career. (laughs) You graduated in three years, which graduating in four years from USC is a huge feat. I mean, you, Miracle Human, did it in three. Explain yourself. How did you do that? Well, um, interestingly, I lived at home throughout my whole college years, and I commuted an hour and a half each way to USC, actually. Because of that, actually, I never had that college experience. So something that I think I do look back and think, hmm, 
you know, maybe I missed out on something there, but I was just so again, motivated to learn as much as I can get through classes. I was like, you're like the nerdiest person ever did everything as fast as possible. Took all the summer classes. I just wanted to graduate and start my business or just start something. Um, I don't know why I think for school, I wasn't a huge, you know, I, I, I was good at school, but I, I don't think I was a fan of the whole process. I really wanted to go out and explore as early as possible. So I graduated at 20. I think before That's a amazing. little bit. We're similar in that regard where, when I got, I mean, so impressive, no big deal, no big deal. I think I'm similar in that regard as well, because the reason why I think I got good grades is because I worked so hard, not because I was naturally good at school. I was always just craving work. I just wanted to work. Wow. I think right? same. Yeah, same, yeah, right? For sure. Yeah. So and I wasn't, you know, like, I, it's not like, you know, I could just magically get good grades too. I had to work very hard for that. Oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. Um, you worked on a, a bamboo project. Can you explain this, this project and how it turned into a company and how you yeah. then sold it? So much similarity to pillows, right? Right. <laughs> but yeah. And I, I think we were talking about how there is, you know, um, some similarities there in terms of the bamboo being, uh, a, a theme of your jewelry. And I feel like that was a really cool story I learned about as well. Um, but I was actually a junior at USC um, it was my second or third year. Um, I, I probably started in the summer, but I did a research project where I found out that, and I was in the entrepreneur school, um, Lloyd Grife School of Entrepreneurial Studies. And I found out that 27,000 trees were cut down a day for toilet paper. And young me was just like, that is so not worth it for a few seconds of use. And I, you know, was looking online for different alternatives. And then one alternative that was really popular was recycled toilet paper, which means that you get all the papers from like receipts, things like that. And you go through this like chemical process. Um, and a lot of people online actually develop some kind of sensitivities to this paper. Um, and so I was just thinking there just has to be a better way Again, like I've always had this thing where like, I really want to impact the most, like as many people as possible through the things that we touch and feel and use every day. I guess what better kind of way to do that for, uh, than toilet paper, I guess. And then, um, so I went through, you know, exploring different options like sugar cane or even cotton. And then I found out, you know, bamboo is a weed. It's naturally antibacterial, antifungal, you cut it, it keeps growing. And so didn't know too much, um, about the business world in terms of starting a bamboo toilet paper company. I don't think my parents have ever been in the paper business, but I just got so motivated for some reason. And this was like more than 10 years ago now, I feel to start this in terms of, you know, drawing out all the packaging, why I felt this brand has to exist in the world, um, going through and looking for like bamboo suppliers here in the U S and, you know, in different parts of the world where it was, you know, better to grow this certain type of bamboo. And then, you know, slept on different kind of like paper factory floors. I remember trying to get this product out and then putting it on Amazon and 
after about a year or so, it became the number one selling bamboo bath tissue on Amazon. Um, to be frank, though, I mean, to be fair, there wasn't a lot of bamboo toilet paper back then. So, um, but it was my first taste of like getting into the consumer products world. And it was a whirlwind. We did that for three years before I sold it to a distributor in the East Coast in Minneapolis who then places it in all of these brick and mortar stores. So it's not online anymore, but it was called Cora when it was. And um, that was my first taste of my own business. Were you still in school when you launched it formally or had you graduated? I was still in school. I had a year left. So I was working on developing the product and the design and everything. And then I graduated and I went into it full-time. Wow. So at the time of graduation, you said you had a year of preparation. What, walk us through those processes of, of the different steps that you took to get your product from conception to market. Cause that's pretty fast, all things considered. Yeah. I think I'm always kind of trying to fast track things. And even, you know, we'll touch on Pluto in a bit, but that only took me nine months from idea neck pain to launching. And so, um, once I get, you know, this idea to do something, I usually work really fast because I don't need it to be perfect for it to be out in the market yet. I just want to see it out there and then continue to tweak along the way. And so I was lucky during my time at USC because that last year, it was all about entrepreneurial studies. So I got all of the, you know, the general classes out of the way. And, you know, that class was all about bringing your ideas to life, writing a business plan for it and presenting it. And I kind of just used Cora to go through that whole year. So it was a great launch pad for the business later on. So I think I cheated there a little bit. <laughs> no, I think you were resourceful. I think that just shows how resourceful and and savvy you, you are as a business person. I think that's so impressive. So between selling Cora and starting Pluto, what did the journey look like in between for you? After you sell a company, I think that was my first, again, taste in, I was working on that business for so long. It became such a core part of my identity that after I sold it, I actually was actually a bit lost for some time. I, you know, I wasn't, I was taking my time in that I wanted to see what I wanted to do next, but I felt like a core, like a good chunk of, you know, my early years was devoted to that, even though it was only two or three, but it felt very like compounded and compressed into a time period. Um, And so I kind of took my time again to think about let's explore different industries again, and kind of going back to the mindset that I've had as a kid, you know, dabbling in cars. Like there was a time when I started go-karting a lot. I started going to the racetrack a lot. I try to learn as much as I can about real estate because my, my, my parents were also getting into real estate at the time. And I wanted to learn a lot about, you know, 
investment properties and managing properties and all of that. So I did that for some time. I also, you know, went back and kind of learned more about their liquidation business because by the time that I sold my business, their business was also kind of transitioning as well into, you know, different, I mean, that business can be, can go into logistics, it can go into warehousing. And so I was learning that as well. Um, and I actually had a lot of ideas. Like I want to do like a rental car company that ultimately became Turo. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I wish. Um, and, and a lot of things in regards to, to cars, I had like a notebook of ideas that, you know, never really went anywhere. But whenever I thought of something, I would just write on it. And then if things, you know, kind of in my mind start to, if something inspires me, then I would take that next step. And it wasn't until Pluto where I took all the way, like the steps all the way to the launch of the company. That's so cool. Let's talk about Pluto. Let's get into it. <laughs> what was your first ping about potentially creating this company? Yeah. So I never thought I would run a pillow company. I, I can say that very confidently, Marin. Um, but I think like many founders, the idea came from a personal experience. And in my case, I acted on it just like I acted on a lot of things, but this one more so. And as I mentioned, I always had this passion towards consumer products. How can we 10x the things that we touch and feel and use every day and impact the most amount of people? How can I dramatically improve upon these things from both a product and experience standpoint? And so, as I mentioned, I've always been a car enthusiast. And there was a time, you know, between Core and Pluto where I had a lot more time to take my cars to the track. I started go-karting a lot, suiting up, and I started to get really bad neck pain. And it got to a point where it started to affect my track times. So when I went to like tracks like Chuckwalla or Laguna Seca or Button Willow, like I didn't get as great times. Nothing was wrong with my car, but it's just because I couldn't turn my neck a certain way. And, you know, things were bothering me. And, um, you know, I started seeking help, family doctors, physical therapists. And I discovered that my pillow could be the culprit because I've been sleeping on the same pillow for 10 years. And that's embarrassing to share at this point. But um, I remember naturally, I got super excited about a possible solution going into, you know, offline, going to brick and mortar stores like Target, Bed Bath & Beyond, Costco, and feeling pillows through, you know, thick plastic bags. And there were like racks and racks of pillows. But then after purchasing them and actually sleeping on them, I found that they weren't quite the right fit. And then online, obviously, there's a ton of products on Amazon. There's like 80,000 pillows. Everything is one size fits all or adjustable ones that were cumbersome. And I just felt like it was such an afterthought of a product in 2017. So this was in 2017 when there were a ton of mattress companies coming out, you know, like every couple of weeks, there was like a new one after the Caspers and Tuft and Needle. And after buying and returning seven different pillows, I just knew that there had to be a better way. Like, what if we can approach this product, one that everyone needs and apply a more scientific data-driven model to the purchasing experience? You know, what if we can improve upon both the materials that have been traditionally used in a pillow industry, as well as both the purchase and post-purchase experience? And so we were just very curious. Um, I was just very curious. Later on, it was me and my co-founder that got really curious. And above all, we wanted to see if we can make a real impact to the pillow industry return rate. At the time, it was 13%. That's wild. How did you find your co-founder? 
because the bamboo the bamboo was spearheaded by you. Was it yes. your sole company? I was the yes. solo founder. Yes. So at what point did you also say, maybe this is a perfect opportunity for collaboration. Let's try a new format. Tell me, walk me through that process a little bit. Yeah, I thought, so I learned a ton from my first company. And one of the things I learned was that it could be very lonely. And I'd say that having someone who could compliment me on my skills um, definitely have a lot of weaknesses that I'm aware of. And if I could find someone who has a different skill set for myself, I feel that the company can just go that much further. Again, Cora was just my first experience. And every time I, I want to do something else, I want it to be a level up than the previous company. And so my co-founder, I met him through a couple of mutual friends. Um, I'm from a town called, you know, La Habra Heights, Roland Heights Diamond Bar. It's a pretty small town. And um, we had a ton of mutual friends there. And one day, you know, I kind of, you know, told him about, I think at the time I was trying to ask for pillow recommendations from people. I was trying to see if people knew like certain brands, you know, that they really, really liked. And actually nobody really knew, um, had an answer to that. And he was one of the people where he was like, I have a guest room filled with pillows because I just buy pillows on Amazon whenever I'm kind of like, bored or I'm trying to look for the next better thing that could level up my sleep. That's not a mattress and none of them worked out for them. And it was like the same reasons. And he's very different from me. He's very technical. He's very operations. And, um, he likes to stay behind the scenes as well, just make everything work and processes and systems. And so, you know, I think we got to talking and we felt like, Hey, maybe this is something that we could explore and try together. That is so cool. I feel like that's, I'm not sure if you're spiritual, but I'm very, I'm like 12 out of 10 on the spiritual spectrum. So in my family, I love we, that. We would call that a God thing. Like that's a God thing. The fact that you, you know, like met this guy through mutual friends and he's like, has the same obsession with pillows as you at the same time as you. That's totally a God thing. I love that. So once you meet him, then what is the path to say, hey, let's work together and then let's call it Pluto. I also want to talk through the branding aspect of it as well. Yeah. Um, so let's see. I remember um, once we made the decision to go, both of us kind of went off and tried to do different things. Like for me, I was trying to find all the right suppliers. I was buying all the right pillows, all, all of my favorite pillows or, or ones that I felt were different, cutting them up, putting them together <laughs> again, and then looking for like the suppliers. And um, on his end, he was starting to do research with like sleep researchers or like um, interviewing like physical therapists and seeing like what goes into making a good pillow like what makes a good pillow for someone is it the height is it the firmness like would it be your body stats would it be your sleep positions would it be your preferences and um, I guess uh, that was a good hint that it was all of those all of the above and he started working on the kind of algorithm side because we we knew we wanted to take it take the pillow purchasing process to a more scientific method and so he started working on the website he started working on um the algorithm and I started working on getting suppliers the design of the site naming the company which I, I know you're interested in learning about um and so I think that whole process it's not like we had a deadline but we worked so fast that everything in terms of trademark putting it together filing a patent it took 
like six months from the time that we talked about it. Did you, during that process, did you pull in assistance from any other specialists, any other like graphic designers or branders or any, any other assistance, or were you just spearheading that whole process on your end by yourself? We were spearheading on our own by ourselves um, the whole way. Um, I think we tried to get an agency to work on it with us, but it was in the six figures. And yes, even though I sold my previous company, there was no way I was putting six figures into, into a project that I didn't know whether there was product market fit. And so that's something that, you know, I really encourage is that again, it doesn't have to be perfect when you launch, you know, and there are some things where it's like you get one shot, but for us in this particular case, it was like, let's get it out there. Let's not hesitate too much. You know, I think I know what I'm looking for because I'm actually the consumer of this brand. And so I'm going to create it to, to how I think I'd want to see a company doing this would look like, if that makes sense. Um, and another thing was, you know, regarding the name, I had a whole spreadsheet of names, like in terms of, you know, it was like, dough pillow or, or weird, like a whole spreadsheet, every single domain name was taken. And then I remember very distinctly one night I was going to bed and it just dawned on me. Like it was like Pluto pillow. It flowed. I got up right away and checked and the domain was available. So that's a good sign. Um, it was two syllables, what we were looking for. And, you know, when you think about right now, the makeup of our pillows. And we had an idea then of what it would be like, but like Pluto and like most planets or X planets, it would be like 70% rock and 30% kind of like gas around it. And for our pillows, it's also like a solid core encased within an outer plush cover. And so that plus domain available, plus giving some love to the X planet was the reason why we ultimately went with Pluto pillow. And I love space. So yeah. I think that that's also something that's really important that we should let our listeners know um, about is before building out an entire company, an entire ethos around something that you are passionate or, you know, a name of a company that is connected to a service, make sure that the handle and the domain and, you know, all the social media platforms are available. I would recommend it for it to be consistent across the board, if you can, it just makes branding and pitching your product so much easier. Um, but before you go into all the nuance of building out a brand, do that research beforehand. It will make your life a lot easier. For sure. I think I've had some friends who kind of went in and had to change the company name later on, um, just because they didn't do much homework and it was just such a hassle. For sure. So one thing that we don't really talk about on the show that I want to get into with you is the process of finding a manufacturer because it looks different for everyone, but I think that your story is even more unique because you are not only creating an existing product, but you're recreating how to customize a product. So I would love for you to go through number one, finding a manufacturer in your field and number two, who was willing or how did you coerce <laughs> a factory um, into creating essentially a custom pillow for each person and what that looks like? 
Right. So um, I think what's helpful here is also sharing a little bit of a background on how our materials work. So the office that I'm sitting in right now and where I'm where I'm recording the podcast from my end next to this wall is where we actually create all of the pillows and put it together and ship it out all throughout the United States. And so our job in the beginning was finding the right components. So things that we were looking for. So let's say in terms of the foam core, um, we really believe in a solid foam core because shredded foam can, you know, there's a lot of features about it that aren't good. And they're like scraps made after you cut a solid foam core. But we also, and, and you know, like there's a ton of technology in, in foams that, you know, I, I think I don't have to get into, but there's certain levels of heights we need. There's certain levels of density of temperature regulation and, and even the way that the ventilation holes are cut. And so these are components that we specify for our suppliers to make for us specifically and exclusively for us. And so in the beginning, I had a ton of pillows, as, as I mentioned. And what I did was I looked at all of the tags of all of the pillows out there. There's a lot of information there in terms of different numbers. And I would go and look at what these numbers mean. And they typically mean that they're from a certain manufacturer and you can trace it all the way back to a supplier. And I had, again, like a whole document filled with these numbers and the top suppliers, and they actually all went to just a handful of suppliers. So there's 80,000 pillows out there, and I can almost guarantee you if it's like a certain foam or if it's certain feathers or, or anything, like there are like big players in that space. And what I would do is I would just go and talk to all of them and show up in person, actually. And, and tell them about the vision and what I'm creating, I would get a sense of like, whether they believe in us and whether that's something that, you know, they can help support. And I want them to be excited because we're going to be partners in the long term. And so that was something that I, I did in terms of finding the suppliers, um, even, you know, the fibers that we were looking for. For that, I had to travel to like Vietnam and, and China and even India and try to see like, what are the fibers that we need? We needed these like really thin, silky fibers. Um, and so that was how I actually approached it from the bamboo toilet paper that translated well over to pillow space as well. <laughs> that was I a really long-winded way, but hopefully, you know, that was our side. But again, like you mentioned, there's no blueprint. But I would say is that like, you know, when you when you are looking for manufacturers and you're looking for a long-term relationship with them, it's worth visiting them in person, letting them get to know you and getting that vibe to see if this is something that they're going to actually support you in. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think it's also really helpful for people to, um, again, being on the spiritual spectrum, energy is very important to me. So you can read people's energy. You can read their body language. You can see if you like their demeanor. You can also see um, the facility and see if it's a facility yes. that, you want to, that you want to support, right? Because everyone runs their business a little bit differently. Um, and in different countries, there's different regulations. So also making sure that, you know, everything is copacetic from, you know, if it's going to be a USA distributed project product, you know, what that looks like overseas as well. Um, I would hundred percent recommend the same thing. It is worth the trip. If you have the means to do it, it is worth it. Luckily people are more, um, comfortable with being on zoom calls as we are right now. Um, yeah. that I think is one of the benefits of the pandemic from a 
you know, a non-medical standpoint. Um, but even, even so, I think that having Zoom calls and then going in person, you know, having the Zoom kind of be like the road to meeting someone in person, if you feel like it's a good fit. It's worth the trip. hundred percent. Yes. Even, you know, that's something that my parents installed in me whenever they are looking into a new business, instead of just like reading about it, or even just hopping on the phone, they would go. Um, even if sometimes, you know, they don't, I, there are times and we didn't really have the means to, but then they would make it a point to do so. And they've told me that, you know, it has really impacted the way that you know, they've done business with their partnerships and, um, their manufacturer suppliers over the years. I love that. I want to read an excerpt from your Forbes article. Salu made a conscious decision not to crowdfund, instead opting to self-fund the entire development process. Pluto Pillow launched in March of 2018 and began advertising heavily on podcasts, Facebook, and Instagram to reach millennial women as she thought they'd be the most likely decision maker when it came to linens and bedding. Later on in the article, it speaks to the fact that men ended up being a massive, you know, customer base for you. But I want to go back to this, the funding and the financial part of your company and why you chose to self-fund instead of go um, with the financing route. Yes, that's a great question. So there were a couple options I you know, I was looking at. I knew Cora was something that I spent very, very little money on to start. And I wanted it to be the way for this company as well, even though we had category defining aspirations, even from the time that we launched. Um, One thing was, okay, we could do, we could try and find investors at the time, direct consumer was really hot. And it was a space where, you know, investors were, were very interested in, and we could go that route and be VC backed. But to be honest, I didn't have the network to do so. So one thing is to be um, just to be transparent there. I didn't know anybody in the startup space that changed later on because we joined 500 startups. You know, we, we consciously wanted to take that route. But in the beginning, um, I didn't have that choice. And second, I think crowdfunding, that was a time when I started seeing that there were a lot of campaigns on there that just there were scams to be to be to be very, you know, transparent in what I was thinking. I didn't want it it to be that way. And I didn't want to start off that way. And it was something where like, I felt let's give myself a healthy constraint of starting this company with less than, you know, with like low five figures. And let's see if we can just try and make something work from there. And even though actually the Forbes article talked about advertising, We didn't do that from the get-go because we didn't have the funds to do so. What we did was we started going to press, just like that Forbes article. I started pitching and pitching to everybody who wrote about direct-to-consumer brands or sleep or customization, and I pitched as a founder, and that was how we initially got customers to our website. It wasn't advertising at all. And then we try to then think about how do we have those customers refer others so that you know, fast forward to this day, one in every five customers actually come from an existing customer. So, you know, things that, these are things that I was thinking about, but yes, to your point, um, I knew that I wanted this to be big, but I wanted to start small, see if there's a product market fit. And later on me and my co-founder, you know, we're packing the first 10,000 pillows, even making them, packing them. And that was right before we were like, okay, let's make the decision to see if we could get investors to back this because 
there is a product market fit here. We're getting customers. Let's pour more fuel to this fire. And so, you know, I, we joined 500 startups, which is so helpful. And I could talk about experience as well. And then in February, 2019, actually right before joining a couple months, um, the Shark Tank producers, you know, they read about us in an article and they reached out and we That's said, amazing. no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you really? Yeah, we did. In the beginning, we we were very, again, maybe a little bit too conservative, um, but, and I, I didn't really watch a lot of TV. I wasn't really sure if that was the direction we wanted to go. And, you know, me and my co-founder, there's no way we could pack like the amount of pillows that came out from that experience. So I think it was a good thing that we said no in the beginning. And then, you know, that changed later on, but we can talk about it some more. Let's talk about it. I want to first talk about press and how you went about finding people to pitch to and how you pitch to them. Cause that's very tactile information that I know our listeners would really appreciate. Yeah. So before we got any PR agency, I mean, now we work with a phenomenal one. Um, again, you know, going back to healthy constraints, I like to do everything ourselves in the beginning, whether it's press, answering customer emails, creating ads, um, you know, drawing up the site and then handing it off to someone way more skilled. But in the beginning, you know, touching and feeling everything throughout the business was really important to us. So specifically for press, I had a Google news alert for anything that talked about pillows or any brands mm. that were in the sleep space. And then I would get, so there were a ton of articles, I mean, every day, and you would get the author, right? Like of that article, like Cosmopolitan or Real Simple or Fast Company. And, and you could guess their email addresses based on the naming convention. Like maybe it could be m.costello, you know, at Fast Company or marin.c. And I would try all of these or I would stalk them on Twitter or Instagram. But the goal was I had this cold pitch from a founder, from a founder, which is myself, um, very, you know, succinct and kind of really giving them like, Hey, I have this idea and we launched and here's what we've done so far. And I love for you to try out our product. Um, let me know this is of interest because I know that, you know, you tend, you, you write about this very often. I think this would be of interest to your audience and stuff and getting, you know, I dedicated about two to three hours a day just to reach out to these folks. And that was where, like, I started tweaking that pitch a lot and it became like 30 to 40% of them responded. And, you know, whether it's a yes or no, like getting a response was really great and feedback for me to tweak some more. Um, but that was how we initially got it. I remember my first article was on business insider and that was huge for us. It was like a long, you know, long form article. And the second one was fast company and entrepreneur. And then it kind of like, once you got one, it snowballed into many. And I just, you know, really refined my pitch over over some time through that. And that was, again, like how we got out there. And it's probably really good for SEO as well. That's amazing. You did two to three hours a day of pitching for how long? How long did you do the press yourself before handing that off to a, before either the press just started rolling in organically or before you switched over to a PR company? So we didn't switch over to a PR company until right before we were going to air on Shark Tank. So I was doing it for a pretty long time because what I found was that um, these authors, they get press, these journalists, editors, authors, they get press pitches 
all the time from, you know, agencies. And I think it's actually very refreshing when they see a pitch in their inbox from a founder. And so I felt that it still yielded the most results. But right before we were going to air on Shark Tank, I just felt like this was something that I can finally hand off to someone else because I have a lot more on my plate and I need to prioritize my time a little bit better there. Um, and so, uh, but that was really hard. Then we had to look for a PR agency that I felt could really, really succeed in this task. Um, and they did, you know, shout out to Jack Taylor. Um, we love you, Jack Taylor. So, so much. Love you, Jack Taylor. Yes. Yeah. But I I've done it myself for, for quite a long time because I felt like it yielded, you know, again, really successful rate of responses. Um, so yeah, I still yes. recommend doing that if you're a founder. At least hundred percent, hundred percent. I think it's also helpful to not only pitch to them, but also say, Hey, attached as a pre-written article, because if you can make their yes. job easy for, for them, they will most likely respond to that. If you make their job more difficult, or you maybe ask too many questions, or if it's too much back and forth, they're going to be like, yeah, this is too much. But if yes. you just say, here's everything, edit it, how you choose. If you need anything else, let me know. They'll probably bite TBH. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, and I, to your point, we had like the media kit all done with like beautiful photos ready to go, the code if they want to redeem their pillow and um, a few articles that were already written on us. So it's like, here you go. You know, I think this would be really great for your audience. And then, yeah, usually it's a, it's a yes. I love that. So also not only attaching or putting in the body of an email, a pre-written article for their specific audience, but also attaching a media kit with any other materials that they may need. It's very, very smart. Let's talk about 500 startups when you, when you joined that group and then also Shark Tank afterwards. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So, um, once we decided that we were going to go the venture capital route, I knew that, you know, A, I didn't have a network, B, I didn't know how to fundraise, and C, I felt like there were more ways to grow that I didn't think about yet because, you know, we're really heads down in our business, and I felt that, you know, an accelerator could really help us, and 500 was something, you know, it's one of the top accelerators in the country. There's like Y Combinator and then there's 500 startups. And that was actually just one of my dreams. And I remember applying in September of 2019 and, um, we got into their like November, 2019 batch. We were actually the last batch before COVID. And then we, um, graduated and did a demo day on March, 2020. And so the, the thought of like, why I wanted to go in was, you know, I wanted to build a network. I wanted to meet other startup founders. Um, I wanted to learn more about, you know, out of the box ways for growth. Um, and so I had these, you know, goals in mind and I moved up to San Francisco for that experience. And it was like one of the best experiences I've ever had. Like if I didn't have a college experience, as I mentioned before, 500 was my college experience, but it was a lot of work because you were there and then you had meetings with, you know, investors, you know, especially at the latter half of the, of the batch, like almost every single day you had to get up you have to do work. You have to turn in things. You have to show week over week growth for your company. And we were the only direct to consumer brand 
in our batch. Everybody else was definitely SaaS or FinTech or esports. Um, and so that was, yeah, that was a really interesting, but even wow. so, like I could adopt some of their strategies for growth to a consumer business that helped me think really outside of the box, like AB test different things, you know, even if we're a product company. That is so cool. So that was only a year into you starting the company, wasn't it? That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's it felt like a long time though, because there's a lot that has happened. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So after that experience, then what? After that experience, so we did a digital demo day. I started getting some checks in and then, um, we actually, I had to come back because after demo day, um, you know, just, there was so much uncertainty as with everybody. And I came back to LA and by that time we had a small warehouse and we had to shut down for like two months because, you know, and things were very, um, you know, and the shutdown was indefinite at the time we had a lot of orders and we had to personally reach out to every single person and share that we were closed and your order will be delayed for for, for, you know, a significant amount of time. And we're going to refund your money because here is like where you need it most. So we were very open in communication, you know, through the pandemic and all. And I feel like that's really important. Um, even to this day, um, even through shark tank, you know, the delay because of the whole, like the amount of orders that came in, just being very transparent. And it was very painful because we needed every order, you know, like, now and even back then more so every order meant so much to us as like you know just two people and I think we just hired like a third person for our team and so um luckily I most most folks I would say like 80 percent kept their orders and because of our communication and the way that we shared you know um you know everything that was going on they kept their orders and actually a couple months after that we went on Shark Tank. We filmed in August, 2020 in a bubble. Um, they had really great strict COVID protocols and um, we closed our seed round. It took some time because I paused fundraising due to everything that was happening. Um, and it was recommended to do so by some of um, our mentors at the time. And then we aired on Shark Tank May, 2021, 10 months after we, we filmed, nine or 10 months after we filmed. And then in 2021, like right before that, we also closed our seed round of $2.1 million. Wow. Um, and so, yeah. So even through a lot of things have happened even after 500 startups. I want to go back to the point in time where you chose to say to your customers, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happening with our factories. We're going to give you the option to have your order refunded. It seems really, and it is really painful in the short term, but what you gain from that is oftentimes oftentimes lifetime customers, like having that transparency and that showing that you value your customers. And rather than saying like, well, whoops, it's going to ship when it ships that attitude versus, Hey, this sucks for everyone. Here's an option to get your money back. The latter will always serve you so much, so much better in the long run. I really think that was such a smart move on, on your part to create community and really maintain such a high moral compass for the brand. I'm really impressed by that. Thank you so much. I think You're even, so you know, welcome. today through, through um, our company, like our goal is to be more than just a pillow company and more than a sleep company. Like we want to be there for our customers in a way where they're asking us 
you know, things about mattress recommendations, or if they get hot at night and it's more so than their pillow, like, what do we recommend them doing? Like we have these very interesting, authentic conversations on like even hotels that have the best pillows, you know, with our customers that is not just related to our products specifically. And that's something that I really value. And I hope we continue as we scale. Well, it's a lifestyle brand because you're affecting people's lives, right? This was born of you having neck pain. That's lifestyle. Like, you know, your life is, is subject to how you're able to move about the world. And so I think it makes sense to approach it from a holistic perspective. It truly is a lifestyle brand. Yeah. And it's a really loyal category. I feel like once you found something, you know, you love, and, um, I think that our mission is to always develop products and experiences that maximize your comfort and sleep, starting with custom creating sleep pillows at scale as our Genesis, but going forward, we want to continue to infuse the industry with a level of personalization, care, design, and technology across everything we launch. You are so kind and so personable and so approachable, but you're also such a beast. So I would like in the business space. So I would like to selfishly personally talk about how you organize your day. What apps do you use? How I want to get into the nuance of what it's like to operate like Susanna, because I think everyone has something to learn here. You are so impressive. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, That being said, you know, I think everybody could be very different. So what works for me, I feel also changes throughout the months, depending on what's going on. Like right now, I'm getting really into just keeping a notebook with me at all times. And then, you know, everything that I think about, I write down and I feel like that activates parts of my brain that's different from like just typing it out. But I would transfer this over to Notion, for instance. I have, you know, a Notion all figured out in terms of like I have a dashboard. I have, you know, I pull things from that dashboard to things I need to do today. I have a personal kind of, you know, tab on Notion about my wins every day, um, morning reflections, (laughs) quick journaling, all of that. Um, But it all starts from the notebook for me. Um, And it's really these two places and um, my calendar, obviously, but I do want to say like writing things down, even right before this podcast, I do have coffee here, but one of the things I did was I was starting to doodle and I was starting to just write out what I hope this podcast would be, uh, would be like, would feel like. Um, And I'm, you know, really hard on myself. So that's something that, you know, even as I'm talking right now, I'm just like, how do I do this better next time around? Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's how I go about organizing everything. We have a lot of projects going on too. We're about to relaunch our new website. It's a whole new revamp. We have a new product coming out that we just got a patent for that we work with IDO on, which is a, a design firm in San Francisco who made the first Apple mouse. We can't wait to launch this in the next two to three months. There's a lot going on, but I take it, you know, bit by bit. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's fun. I too am in love with Notion. Um, I, I use it personally. Um, we don't use it for the company yet, but I'm thinking about transferring all of our project management over to Notion just because it's such a cool platform. So we're yeah. not sponsored by Notion, but Notion, call me. <laughs> Notion, call Marin right away. Yes, I right? think even for us, we have a wiki on Notion on like, how to respond to different customer inquiries, you know, just like a database of 
that everybody could refer back on, like learn about our brand, like our tone of voice, uh, our favorite brands that we would be friends with, you know, things like that. That's all on Notion, organized on Notion. So I recommend it. <laughs> it's, it is a virtual notepad slash project management system, but I would argue for creatives. It has beautiful visual components and you're able to add in images. And in my mind, I'm able to map out my thoughts, exactly how they appear in my mind's eye onto Notion. So if you are a creative and you're looking for a way to organize yourself, which is you know oftentimes a struggle of creatives, highly, highly, highly recommend Notion if you're looking for a digital, a digital um, program. What other apps on your phone do you love? Do you use, or is it strictly Notepad and Notion? Ooh, so Shopify, obviously, Shopify is a big one because we are on Shopify. Um, I do, you know, look at our Instagram a lot in terms of seeing how many people have tagged us lately or have shared us on Instagram um, or commented in any way. Um, let's see, I do have both. <laughs> both Headspace and Calm. I feel like they're there for different reasons, um, but my phone is pretty bare bones. That's pretty much it. I have Slack. I'm looking at it right now. I have voice recorder because there are times late at night when I can't sleep and I don't want to get up and write down something. I have my phone kind of nearby and I would just record memos or things that come to mind. And it could be very long form sometimes. Like I would go into this idea for a product development or an influencer partnership and it'll be there the next day. Don't sleep that. on voice memos. <laughs> no, they're so, they're so helpful. I'll even send, you know, voice texts to myself. It might seem a little bit redundant, but I'm here for it. Yeah. What is your routine, Marin? I'm I'm curious. Like, what are it your changes. favorite apps that you use? It changes as well, it right? Depending on what's going all the on. Time. I feel like I'm forever evolving, and you know, my world is forever in flux as one's is in entrepreneurship. So I'm actually in the market to reassess and recalibrate and take inventory of what's working and what's not, because so much has changed in my personal life and in my professional life. So I think that. I need to, I'll get back to you on that, but I feel like Notion is really speaking loudly from a business <laughs> perspective. Yeah, for sure. And always going back to that notebook, you know, if, if you're kind of stuck somewhere, I feel like, you know, having pen and paper really helps hammer out details and get things out. hundred percent. Where does your confidence come from? And your, and your sense of permission. I just, you are, you you strike me as such a, as such a go-getter. And to me, it's like the word no doesn't exist. I feel like Susanna will fi find a way around the word no. So where does that come from? I think no does exist. It exists in my world. It's just like, <laughs> like you mentioned, finding ways around that. And I think about this a lot, especially lately, because I'm someone who, again, like had a bit of a hard time growing up, like in school, I don't feel like I always belonged. And there are times where I had to fake confidence and that would be enough. But there are other times where I'm looking to build actual durable confidence that endures when things aren't all rainbows and unicorns. And there's a saying that goes confidence, like is the saying goes like, I think build confidence through competence. And that's something that I've leaned on a lot lately to try something that scares me, whether it's Pluto or whether it is trying to mix a song, you know, on Launchpad and share it with my friends. 
or to just take the first step and develop the skills and resilience you need in your space, in your community, I think by and large, the outcome that usually comes out of taking that first step isn't so bad. And that's enough. That first bit is enough to take you to the next step. And other times, I think all you need is remind yourself that, you know, you've achieved great things. And no matter what happens ahead, no one can take that away from you. Like you're here because you belong and you're enough. But every day is still an up and flow, Marin. So to be honest, I mean, these are things I'm thinking about. Um, I'm still figuring it out. We all are. I think that is adulting at its finest, right? Those who have it quote unquote figured out probably aren't here anymore. It's the figuring it out that is life. Yeah. And I think, you know, through this process, you know, I don't think I was a very spiritual person before, but you know, it starts off with like even a couple minutes of meditation a day where like you carve out space for yourself. And then later on, you know, taking moments to savor things and you become this person that's, I I feel like there's a lot that entrepreneurship has brought to me in terms of my growth. That's not just company related. Well, somehow it's been an hour. I can't believe it. I know. (laughs) Can you share with us? Is it because I was talking too much throughout? So our our guests oftentimes say this, and that is the point. The point is for you to tell us everything about yourself and your brand. Like we're so, I mean, we definitely will have you back on the show. This was so much fun. Where can our listeners find you and how can we support you? All right. You can find me on, I don't have social media. I, everything's private for, for myself, especially after Shark Tank. And I know we didn't really get to that, um, but you can find me at S Salu on Instagram or LinkedIn, just Susanna Salu. Anybody could reach out to me by email. Actually, if you want to chat or have anything, just Susanna at PlutoPillow.com and please support us by following at PlutoPillow on Instagram. I love it. And PlutoPillow.com to get your custom pillow. Thank you so much for being on the show. You are such a dream and we will schedule another episode with you because that was so much fun and we still have so much to talk about. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Marin. It was so great to finally chat. I know. Likewise. Ladies and gents, that interview was beyond. A massive thank you to Susanna for coming on the show. Another huge thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you liked this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please be sure to leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love, just like Susanna. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at MarinCostello.com and MarinCostelloRadio on Instagram. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week with another amazing guest on Marin Costello Radio.